Welcome to the Relentless Gardener podcast. Good day, everyone. I am Colorado State University horticulture agent Linda Langelo, and joining me today is John Mergle, Extension Specialist, Horticulture and Natural Resources in Douglas County. Now let us get to the heart of it, where we explore the horticultural topic of long-term care of holiday plants. Hello, John. Glad you could join me today. Hi, Linda. It's a pleasure to be here. So what do you want to start off with talking about first? Well, I think um, just which plants would be great options to save because holiday plants are a popular gift and it seems that so many of them just get tossed to the wayside or thrown away with the wrapping paper. And a lot of them can be long-term, relatively easy care houseplants. And so I uh, just wanted to talk about, well, how do you decide if a houseplant is worth saving or not? And some of it comes down to what type of plant you received. And so there are plants that, for example, um, paper whites, they're a bulb, they're naturally a perennial, but in cultivation in a pot, they're kind of good for one flower. And then you're going to have a couple of goofy grass-like leaves, and maybe it'll flower again or not. That would be an example that unless you had some really compelling emotional reason to save a paper white, just chuck that thing, compost it, use it to enrich your garden soil, but probably not worth keeping from year to year. Contrasting that would be uh, amaryllis or uh, hippiastrum is the botanic name for those. And those are also bulbs. They are much larger bulbs and their foliage is a bit nicer, more ornamental and relatively easy to take care of. And that's something that the longer you have them and the bigger you can grow that bulb, the nicer the display each year can become. So it's not, not completely carefree. You do have to water and fertilize it to try to grow that bulb bigger, but it's something that's really worth a payoff um, if you are able to keep it alive. And amaryllis, for whatever reason, have gained a reputation as being really tricky plants. And they're really not tricky if you give them what they want. And so you can also get uh, a reputation as being an excellent houseplant grower. If you rebloom your amaryllis, you can impress your friends and neighbors you'll, by having that thing uh, be an heirloom, for example. <laughs> you'll you'll look like an expert. So Exactly. You will look like one, and hopefully you will be one, too, at, at growing that amaryllis. You could share your skills. And they do actually um, make pups, make baby bulbs from the bases. So one thing that um, if you get really good at this, you could start doing is, is propagating them. It's very simple to just take those pups from the base of the bulb. Then you could pot those things up and give them as gifts to yourself. You get some, get some bulk on them, start your own little amaryllis production facility right there on the windowsill or under your grow light and have Christmas gifts for your office mates or your family or whomever. Um, so that would be one I think that is worth keeping. Um, about about how long would it take to produce a pop? Couple of seasons. So the bulb, most bulbs that you're going to buy commercially are large enough that they're going to start throwing those offsets that same year. You'll start to see them showing up. I even got a couple this year just at the hardware store that already had offsets on them, so it's a year in advance. Depending on the growing conditions and how big the pup was when it started, you're looking at maybe four years or even five before you'll get a bloom from that pup. So it is a time commitment to get it to flower. But if you just even potted up the pots with a little instruction sheet, there's a gift right there. Um, and they are cute plants. The you know, they're strappy leaves. I think 
one of the things that I've appreciated about them since I was a child is, you know, you buy them at Christmas time and they flower and you cut down the flower stock and then the leaves emerge after that. And it often, at least initially, makes these two very long, green, strappy, symmetrical leaves. So right around Easter time, it would look like the green Easter bunny was hiding inside this pot with just these two giant green ears popping out. So even if you're doing that sort of thing with your amaryllis, it's all sorts of decoration potential in there, I think. Um, it's a fun house plant. It's just, it's cool. It's really easy to grow. It's, it's You don't have to uh, be persnickety about water. Because it is a bulb, it's adapted to seasonally dry places. So if you want to rebloom it, you want to make sure that you're watering and fertilizing very regularly. But it's not something that if you forget to water it for a week or two, or if you go out of town, it's not going to be like some house plants and you come back to and they're dead. You know, you're sweeping up their remains from the floor as they crumbled because it does have that storage organ, that bulb that's there underground. It can store those reserves and, and last for quite a while. Um, I know folks that just put them outside once it gets to be warm enough in the spring, you know, once nighttime temperatures are really reliably above 45 or 50 degrees, they essentially just forget about them. You know, might get watered with the container plants or it gets rain. Then you just bring them in in the fall again. And it's the cooler temperatures of fall that will initiate, combined with that dry period, that will initiate that second flowering season. In nature, these bulbs are flowering in the rainy period, then growing, putting on bulk for the next flowering, and then going dormant for the dry season. And so if you can recapitulate that dry season by just simply stopping watering uh, maybe three months before you want the thing to flower, let the leaves, this is the only unsightly time for this plant. The leaves are going to turn yellow and die back. So you don't want it prominently displayed for that. Um, but once the leaves have died back, you can remove them. And then you'll see the, the bulb will start to push if you have it in the right temperature range, which is between 50 and 60 degrees. And I know no one in the wintertime is setting their thermostat for 55, saying that's going to be perfectly comfortable. Uh, but if you set this plant uh, near a window, or if you've got a garage, um, someplace that does get into that sweet spot. I know my house is old enough and the windows are poor enough that just on the windowsill gets that gets that plant down to 60 degrees at night, set it behind the curtains, and it gets the temperature that it needs. You'll see it start to push new growth, and that's when you start watering it again. And um, with any luck, you'll get a nice cluster of blooms uh, for, for the holiday season a second year in a row. And you can do that year after year after year. They don't need to be repotted very frequently. They enjoy being pot bound, as they say. So it doesn't want a lot of extra potting medium around it. It can be um, very tight within its pot and the bulbs will bulk up gradually, but it's not uh, not a each year it's putting on an inch of growth or anything like that. So you don't need to repot them frequently at all. And you can just keep them going for quite a while. Make it an heirloom of your household. Well, that's a lot easier than poinsettia or holiday cactus, it sounds like. Now, with the amaryllis, you're saying to fertilize as they're starting to uh, come into, or right before they flower, correct? Yep. So as they as they are flowering, and then uh, it's most important when they are putting on those leaves. And so you can let it do its thing while it's flowering if you want to. But then once it has pushed out those leaves, that's really the energy gathering stage and so as it's, as it's pushing that growth, you want to make sure that it's got everything it needs to be generating um, a lot of leafy tissue that it can then use to create the stored food reserves that it's going to use to flower again. 
know, they'll often start with two leaves. You'll know it's happy if it makes more than two. I would say if your amaryllis just sits there with two leaves, you should consider fertilizing it. <laughs> um, but then it, it should generate a nice cluster of leaves um, that, that will sit out again for the summertime. Uh, pretty durable. The only About the only thing that would ever bother it would be a slug or a snail. And you can prevent that by keeping it elevated on a table, um, not letting it sit in super damp areas, or simply by keeping it in the house year round. There's certainly no regulation that you set it outside for the summer. Um, it's just a, an easy way to do that. Uh, watering to make sure it keeps getting watered and lots of good ample sunlight, again, will help it to store away that food. Right, right. I, I do know in the past, there's been a lot of clients that would say, well, do I need to fertilize it when it's in flower? And no. Yep. I'd say not when it's in flower, but certainly when it's in that active growth phase. But you can wait. The flower uh, is being set up in that growth season for the previous year. And so fertilizing uh, is most important while it's developing that next year's flower. And that's going to be in that leafy phase the summer after it's flowered for you. It's almost like trees. Think to the previous season. Exactly. Uh, the previous season is what's determining that plant's performance, without question. Good deal. Where do you want to go next? Holiday well, cactus? Since, sure, since we were talking about heirlooms, um, holiday cactus or, you know, Schlumbergera, which has to be one of the most unfortunate botanic names, at least in terms of our modern ear. Um, no offense to Mr. Schlumberg. Schlumberg. Um, they can live, those individual plants, um, I think some of the oldest are over a century old. And so those things can be heirlooms for real. And they are also not too difficult if you can provide the right conditions in your home to get to rebloom. Um, some of the biggest mistakes that are made with, with holiday cactus, um, Thanksgiving, Christmas, or Easter, depending on the hybridization and what time of year it blooms, are overwatering um, because they are naturally epiphytic, meaning they grow on other plants without parasitizing them. So they're just sort of perched on tree limbs in the rainforest where they grow. They're not used to sitting in, in dirt, in soil. And so if you pot it up in a heavy potting mix and keep it really wet, it's really not appreciating that. You want something that drains really well. So a potting mix certainly will work as long as you don't overdo it. Mixing in some extra perlite might help or using a cactus or succulent mix or an orchid mix would really be ideal for one of those holiday cacti to keep it thinking that it's perched in a tree. And then the second biggest mistake made with uh, holiday cacti other than overwatering is just forgetting to fertilize them because they sit there very happy through most of the year. Um, and similar to uh, an amaryllis or any house plant, really, you've got it in a house where it's not gathering, especially for epiphytes, they're getting their nutrients from falling leaves and detritus that's falling into their rooting zone there on the branch. So if you don't have detritus falling from your house, and I hope you don't, inside especially, you're going to want to make sure that you fertilize. Um, with a, It doesn't need to be um, super strong fertilizer. You're not pushing this thing like petunias or something in the summer. You can use whatever fertilizer, synthetic organic, um, at a relatively weak rate um, throughout the growing season to get that thing to flower. They are triggered to flower by short days and cooler temperatures. So many of them will actually flower twice a year, once in the fall, and then once again in the spring, if they get that cool temperature and they're, we're still in that short day cycle up until the spring equinox. And so um, if you get the right plant, you can have it flowering really 
from November almost through to March um, with a tiny break, maybe at this time of year. So they can really be great. Similar to amaryllis, if you have a windowsill to keep it on that gets a little bit cooler than the house, um, that you know your thermostat set at 68 or 72, you can get those things down to about 60 degrees at night. Again, with that long night period, you can have really good success getting them to flower. Um, they will flower weekly, even with little fertilizer, but the more you're able to keep that plant healthy, the bigger show of buds that you'll have. Um, it's important when they're initiating buds, not to try to change the conditions on it. That will cause oftentimes bud blasting where they will set a lot of buds, but then drop them before they open up. So once it's going into its flowering cycle, it's good to leave it alone if possible to get the maximum show out of it. Um, and they're great too, because they're easy to propagate. They propagate very easily from stem cuttings. It's an interesting plant because it is all stems, like so many cacti. The leaves are vestigial, they're gone very quickly, and that green, flat, platy structure that we recognize is the stem that's doing all of the photosynthesis. And it is a cactus, but it doesn't have horrible spines that will poke you, but it does have a nice waxy cuticle, and it's adapted again to life in the tree canopy. So it's more drought tolerant than people will give it credit for. Um, it can, again, can survive long periods of time with no attention whatsoever. That might not give you the best floral display, but it's again a houseplant option. If you go out of town for two weeks out of every month, you don't need to worry about that thing being watered. Just let it do its thing. Um, I've got a couple of them at home that I really like that I've had now maybe, I don't know, seven or eight years. So not certainly not a century yet. They were actually uh, rescued from a, uh, a semi-truck that was traveling in a time similar to what we had just before Christmas, where it got down to like negative 15 degrees. And the whole truck essentially plunged below freezing. And so many of these cacti were, were killed in the truck and they were all had this really rough winter situation. <laughs> and so actually the nursery where they were delivering these plants just said the trucker just wanted them off of the truck. Um, the nursery didn't want to buy them anymore. Uh, because they were damaged. And so they ended up just sort of in a pile outside of the nursery. <laughs> the nursery said, if you want one of these things, go for it. Um, so I, I grabbed a couple and and they have been happy ever since. And I think it's a testament to how tough not only holiday cacti, but many houseplants are. If you're willing to nurse it through a through a, a difficult time, they can they can really surprise you by their will to live and then to succeed with really pretty reasonable minimal care. Well, that's a great example of you know, the great toughness, you know, without setting up some sort of trial research right there. Right. <laughs> it turns out they can take freezing temperatures as long as it's not for too long. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and I think the most confusing thing about holiday cactus is when you were talking about, you know, the cool period and then they can rebloom a second time and people think, oh, well, I have a Christmas cactus or no, maybe it's an Easter cactus. Exactly. And it turns out you're not going to know for sure based on the bloom time. Um, there are some morphological differences about how spiny the, the cladodes, that is those individual stem sections are, that can give you some insight. But the fact of the matter is so many of what you're going to find sold in, in standard retail nurseries or you know the grocery store, for example, are hybrids. And so it's not a straight species uh, Easter cactus, if you will, or Christmas cactus. It's it's something that really has been bred for its floral display 
and it will flower whenever it has those conditions correct. That is cooler night temperatures and shorter days. And, and they will go to town for you. And that's a reasonably easy, manageable houseplant for a long time. Absolutely. Um, I think the most difficult situation to grow them in would be if you have a home that was uh, that's really well insulated with really good windows, because then you're not going to give it that temperature change that it needs. And if that's the situation you're in, there are still some workarounds. Um, if, for example, you have a room that you don't use at night, uh, close the heater vents in there just to let it get a little bit cooler in, in, the, in the dark period. It doesn't need to be cool all the time, just needs to have that cooler night period. So that's where, again, for most people, pushing it close to a window will do. Um, tucking it into the garage if your garage doesn't freeze, although that might be a little bit too cold. You have to play it, play it by ear with your particular garage. Um, or again, put it in a room with the vents closed, which is another thing that will help with uh, that long night. Because if you have that sitting on your kitchen counter and you've got the kitchen light on into the evening, that might be interrupting your long uh, long night cycle and preventing the, the plant from blooming. It's the same sort of thing that will happen to poinsettias. So if you're ever trying to reflower a poinsettia, they need long nights. So it needs to be kept in a room or a part of the house that's not lit at night. Now, if you're growing com uh, poinsettias commercially, they they really uh, go to extremes with this because it's the bottom line. So that's where you have things like dark curtains hung up inside the greenhouse. I don't know that you need to go to that length as a, as a home grower, as a, you know, a, a house plant parent, as they say, just with one plant, because uh, plant photosynthetic equipment, plant ability to perceive light, is in general not as sensitive as ours. Believe it or not, humans are pretty good at seeing in the dark compared to a lot of life. And so for us, you know, the street light that's at the corner shining through the window is not necessarily going to even register as existing for a poinsettia. There's just not enough light energy reaching that plant's machinery. So you don't need to go to extremes. This is where you get rumors started like you need to keep it in a cabinet to keep it absolutely dark. Remember, the plant still needs light during the day in order to live. So don't put it in a cabinet to try to rebloom it, um, but do keep it dark at night. That is not under your bright lights, you know, not your reading lamp, not in the kitchen. But if it's away and it's just getting ambient light from the street lamp or something, you're probably going to be just fine in getting that thing to set up good color again to display. Again, whether that's a poinsettia or a Christmas cactus. I think there's a lot of myths around what you just said, and I'm glad that you clarified that because people do think they need to lock it in a closet and not, not take it out, at, you know, until a very precise time. So, yep. Yeah, exactly. There's, it's, uh, this is another, if you're able to rebloom your poinsettia, you will have some, some street cred with your friends and neighbors as a person who knows their way around plants, but no, you don't need to lock it into a cabinet in order to, to get it to reflower. Um, once the plant for a poinsettia is showing color on the bracts, then you can move it. Once that flowering phase has been initiated, you can then you know set it in the kitchen to appreciate it. For example, you just wanna keep it in the dark until it's been triggered into that flowering phase. Cause you might also say, well, what's the point of reflowering it if I have to keep it in a back room? Well, I know the back room portion is only for the initiation. And then after that, you can move it out to enjoy it. And similar to the, uh, sorry, go ahead. Don't, don't put it in a, next to a place that's going to get the heat or don't put it in a, a cool drafty place either 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 way too much heat or too much cold 
Right. It poinsettias definitely want moderate temperatures. Um, most plants perform better, frankly, with a difference in temperature between day and night, but you definitely don't want it to be in, in wind. Um, so you don't want it a cold draft for sure. You don't want it right in the heater vent. There are very few plants that appreciate a desert breeze, um, even in the house. So yes, keeping it in a place where the air is still, where temperature changes are gradual and avoiding those sorts of drafts that can just cause the plant, it's not like they'll be lethal necessarily, but they are things that will be imposing stress, making that plant uh, decide, so to speak, that maybe now is not the time to be flowering, should be focusing on figuring out this cold breeze situation. Um, the other mistake that people make with poinsettias, similar to, to holiday cacti or amaryllis, uh, frankly, is overwatering them. And so they're from seasonally dry places. They can take some drought. Now you don't wanna, they're not a cactus, so you don't wanna completely eliminate their watering, but you do want that potting medium to dry out a bit between watering events, especially if you've got the foil on it, it can be very hard to tell. I mean, so many of them are grown in plastic pots, which don't breathe very well. And so you're just relying on the plant's transpiration to bring the water out of that, um, that pot. And if it's not in really bright light, like in a greenhouse um, or outside during the summer or something, it's really not going to be using that much water. And so checking by either plunging your finger into the pot, or my favorite way is just checking how heavy that pot is, can give you an idea of how much water is in the pot. So you overwater it, especially if that is coolish, like in the 60s or 70 degree temperature range, because it's in your house um, over the winter, you can set yourself up with a lot of root rot. Uh, in poinsettias. And that's one, I think, perhaps the number one killer of cultivated poinsettias is overwatering leading to root rots because um, they just, they don't grow in swamps. They're from rocky hillsides in sort of seasonally dry places in Central America. And so if you think of that when you're trying to provide the, the home for it in your house, that's where you will hopefully have the most success. So again, let that potty medium dry out a bit. Don't let it get totally bone dry while you're trying to flower it, of course, um, but uh, don't overwater either. That's Once... a good. That's a good point to 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 bring the origin of the plant into it. Yeah, and you know, with poinsettias, it's well, with many of these plants that are given as gifts, you know, you're not nobody's growing straight species Euphorbia pulcherima, the you know the ancestor of poinsettias, but those cultivated offspring, those hybrids, still have those characteristics of the parent. And so that, that origin can really provide, if you have no idea how to take care of a plant, if you can find out where it's from, uh, what kind of habitat it grows in, that will get you off to the races for sure with what sort of conditions to provide for that plant. And, and the other and thing- what, one, Let me interrupt you, just one other thing too. People should know their houses. You mm -hmm. know, if, if you're keeping it at 69 degrees or 70 or 65, and you water on a regular basis, you're going to have a sense of when that plant is going to need more water long before it starts to wilt. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you'll you'll get to learn how quickly the plant uses water in the environment that you've set up. And so, yeah, it's not going to be coming home to see, oh, the plant is wilted. I guess it's time to water, right? You want to try to avoid that. Um Poinsettias can withstand a wilting event though. So if that does happen, there's no need to panic, just water it and remember next time I need to check that just a little bit earlier. Depending on the timing of the wilting, it can make the plants pretty unsightly. 
So one of the things they might do, for example, is decide that, oh, I guess it's the dry season and they will drop all of their leaves. And then if you give them growing conditions, they'll re-sprout new ones. But that's a, it, it's an awkward phase for the plant. And so that's one to understand. Poinsettias too have a, when they're losing their color, um, if you're going to keep it for a year, they definitely have an awkward phase that you have to be prepared for when they're going to be dropping a lot of their leaves, they're dropping those colored bracts. And that really is the plan is deciding, hey, it's this would normally be when the dormant season is happening. We're going to go to sleep now. If you continue to provide it good growing conditions, it'll push out new leaves very quickly. But it is going to be dropping leaves no matter what you do um, at a certain point in the spring after that flowering cycle is completely finished. That, in my opinion, is a great time to cut them back. Um, poinsettias naturally are, are a shrub. And so unless you want to have a really tremendously large plant. You want to make sure that you're pinching that thing back and keeping it in, in shape. I think the most impressive poinsettia I ever saw uh, was actually grown growing in the city of Denver greenhouses, uh, but it was owned by the Denver Zoo. So they had a particular special use for this thing, but it was, it was its full shrub glory. It was taller than I was. It was in this great big container, woody stem. It was like no poinsettia you've ever seen because no one has has cause to grow them that way. And so, but if you don't pinch your poinsettia back, that is the potential that is waiting for you. And so most people don't have any need for a for a scraggly shrub to be used as a house plant. So pinching it back, I think, is a great idea and can shorten that awkward phase again when it's dropping those leaves. And so would you recommend that if a person wanted to take that poinsettia and put it outside in the in the summertime and then bring it back in? Yep, you certainly can do that. Um, the, the number one mistake you can make by doing that with poinsettias and any plant is to put it into full sun too quickly. And so you want to make sure that you harden the plant and, and get it ready for life outdoors. So certainly in Colorado, you've got a lot of wind, the, the air is very dry, and the sunlight's very intense. So even if the plant were sitting in a, su a bright sunny window, it's not going to be prepared for full sun outside. And so if you're not careful, you could scorch all the leaves, then it will drop all the leaves again, and then it will start over with fresh leaves again, um, which again is fine, but that takes some ornamental time away from you. They make great filler plants for containers. So I'd say even if you're not planning to rebloom it for the year, um, you can put them into larger containers as a way to fill them up. It's lovely green material. Sometimes they even maintain some coloration in the leaf veins. Um, they grow very vigorously if you have them fertilized and watered adequately. And then you could just keep them in their individual pots outdo outdoors in the summer again, and then bring them in uh, as night temperatures are dipping below 50 degrees, which tends to be around here in September, you know, getting towards the fall equinox which conveniently enough is just when they're hoping for that long dark period to be able to flower. And so if you bring them from outdoors into a uh, dark place at night, at least that's the, the little used room or behind the curtains or somewhere where they still get light during the day. Um, but that long dark period, they should be well set up to have really good color. Being outside in the summer will help keep the plant nicely shaped because it's getting even light, not just from one side, um, from a window, for example and maximize the potential for photosynthesis to be storing away those reserves again for that floral display that is gonna be putting on. If people follow your instructions, these plants could turn into really extended use. 
Really, they could. I think the easiest, I think we, we the easiest two certainly are amaryllis and Christmas cactus. Um, in my personal experience, Christmas cactus, if you can, if you can give it that temperature change at night, is probably the easiest one to rebloom. Amaryllis is second. Um, and then poinsettia is a distant third, but it's certainly not as difficult as you would believe. Um, hearing some of the stories about the the gyrations and tricks you need to play on that plant in order to get it to reflower. I think remembering uh, when you're growing any of these houseplants and trying to, to flower them is that the plant wants to flower. Uh, all you need to do is get out of its way and then it will take care of the rest. It's called benign neglect. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> and we need to practice that, I think, a little bit more with all houseplants. Yeah, there is a definite tendency to to love houseplants to death. Um, you know, we we tend to think of of plants, you know, especially house plants, um, almost think of them as as humans or or as animals, and just needing to remember the otherness of the plant and give it what it wants in its timing, rather than treat it like like a I know a baby human <laughs> say oh you need more food again it's been three hours <laughs> and the plant is saying no I'm trying to go to sleep for three months leave me alone. <laughs> That's a good, that's a good concept to remember. <laughs> well, John, I guess we've covered all the major holiday plants. Is there anything else that you can think of? You know, I think those certainly are the three most common that I will see to be sold. Um, and I think you know, the, the general principles that we talked about a bit really will apply to any plant since house plants are, are popular, um, perennially, and certainly have been more popular in the past five years or so, I think there's been a resurgence of interest in houseplants. Um, do some homework about the plant so that you know, um, and if it's given to you a gift, you're sort of stuck with it, and then you got to do your best. But if you're just thinking of buying a new houseplant, think, learn about the plants you're considering before you buy it. So to see if you're going to be able to provide the conditions to let that plant thrive. And because the plant wants to live, you could probably keep just about anything alive in a house, but is the plant that's clinging to life really the thing that you want displayed? Or do you want the plant that is flourishing to be the thing that is greeting you and, and welcoming you in the house? So do that research, learn the plant's natural habitat so that you can provide the closest, uh, the closest sim uh, similarity in your house to those conditions to get the plant to, to succeed and not just merely survive. And if anybody has a question, they can call an extension specialist, right? They absolutely should call their local extension office and talk to the horticulture specialist there um, to, to get more information. Certainly, uh, Colorado Master Gardener volunteers are also great resources that you'll find in extension offices, as well as local nurseries. Um, garden centers have wealth of knowledgeable people that um, want to see their plants succeed. So certainly, yeah, you're not alone trying to grow house plants. And if you ever find yourself about to try something that seems borderline magical, um, that might be a pause to stop and say, maybe I should get a second opinion about whether locking this plant into a closet is really the thing that needs to happen right now. <laughs> well, I don't think any plant wants to be locked in a closet. <laughs> <laughs> Unless there's a grow light in there and a regular source of water, you're absolutely <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> well, John, thank you for joining me today. And a thank you to the listening audience. 
Tune in next time as we get to the heart of another horticultural topic.